for tuning in to another edition of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting ever platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual. Gonna have a great pod, a pod that was recorded about a month and a half ago. I had my guy Jason Gavari on for a little NBA history. We go through the NBA three-point shot, how it's evolved, Steph Curry, his impact on it. This was around the time when Steph broke the record for all-time threes in the NBA, so me and Jason banged this out about a month and a half ago. I've been sitting on this podcast... Because it's a timeless one, right? It's the history of the three-point shot. So it's this is something that's kind of... I know it happened when Steph broke the record. And that's why we did it. But this is something that I could have released like a year later, right? And it would still have relevance and importance. So I'm blessing you guys with this conversation me and Jason had. And we're going to be getting some other NBA histories uh, on the mend as well. Uh, we've talked about doing one just on Steph and his career, just his impact on the game of basketball in general. So that's another one that I'm thinking of doing also. Me and my guy, Scotty Johnson, we've talked about you know analyzing different playoff series, uh, particularly ones that happened in the 2000s, so in the 2010s. So that's on the mend as well. So if you guys like NBA and basketball conversation, uh, those will be coming up, particularly as we head into the summer. Now, want to give my shameless plug as always first time listener thank you but subscribe and follow right now also share this podcast with your friends and family whether it be via reddit threads facebook groups etc etc check on the description below specifically if you use spotify i have everything timestamped. click on it we'll send you to every part of the podcast you would most like to listen to folks it's for your convenience follow me on twitter at nightturn underscore lane also Subscribe to my YouTube channel, just type in Daryl Lane, and you will find it. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then just don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And now I want to get into one of my monologues that I know Kenny's um, scouting expert for terms of sports he loves so much when I go into these monologues. So I got one for you guys. Obviously, Tyreek Hill traded to the Miami Dolphins. Hurts me as a Buffalo Bills fan. We're going to have to see this guy two times a year. And there's a lot of different takeaways. But first, I, I do want to say this. It's going to be interesting, right, for the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs got worse the day they traded Tyreek Hill. In my opinion, Tyreek Hill is one of the two best receivers in the NFL to either him or Jamar Chase. What makes Tyreek Hill special is he can turn a three-yard slant pass or a two-yard wide receiver, I mean a zero-yard wide receiver screen into 80-yard touchdown. Uh, obviously, we saw what he did against the Buffalo Bills in the divisional round where he beats a guy and then runs across the field and burns everybody. He has what I call angle-beating speed, which means when the other guy has the angle, he just outruns him. Uh, So that's a special type of player that puts a lot of pressure on a defense, particularly the way the Chiefs play on the off side of the ball. So it's going to be hard to replicate that. There are receivers in this draft who the Chiefs could get. uh, Drake London out of USC, Chris Olave out of Ohio State, uh, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, Jameson Williamson, who has a little bit of that angle beating speed, though probably not quite as well as a Tyreek Hill does out of Alabama. And none of those guys right away will be a Tyreek Hill or give that kind of production. Maybe they can be a number one. The Chiefs also have Juju Smith-Schuster, so it's like, what are they going to do, right? That's going to be very interesting to watch. But I think this is going to be a test for the Chiefs' dynasty. And yes, I would call the Chiefs a dynasty. Since Patrick Mahomes has been a starter, this is what they've done. AFC Championship game loss, Super Bowl win, AFC Championship, actually Super Bowl loss, and then AFC Championship loss. So they've been to four straight AFC Championship games and two Super Bowls. I would say they've been a dynasty. Uh, They've been the best team in the NFL over the four-year span, right? The most successful team. Uh, It'd be hard to argue otherwise. But particularly in the AFC, they've dominated the AFC and they've been the team in the AFC. The AFC's gone through Kansas City the last four years. Uh, and the Super Bowl winner has had to go through Kansas City around that time span too. So the Chiefs are special. But what New England did with Brady and Belichick, right? So New England always had three core guys. 
Brady QB, Belichick coach, uh, Bob Kraft owner. And everybody was always interchangeable over that 20-year span when New England ripped off, what, six Super Bowls, multiple AFC title game appearances, multiple AFC East divisional titles. Uh, Randy Moss, he came, he went, they were still good. Wes Walker, he came, he went, they were still good. Julian Edelman, he came, he went, they were still good. Darrell Rivas, he came, he went, they were still good. Richard Seymour, he came, he went, they were still good. Ty Law, they came, he came, they went, right, still good. They won before Devin McCourty. They will win after Devin McCourty. They won before uh, Stefan Gilmore. They'll win after Stefan Gilmore. And they have. The same with a bunch of other guys we can name. Whether it's Jared Mayo. Whether it's Dante Hightower. Whether it's anybody you want to name. Anybody. They always found a way to replace him. Willie McGinnis. They always found Dion Branch. Always adapted, always found a way to still win games and be successful. Uh, and I think that's what the Chiefs are trying to do, what they're trying to build. They didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill, who is reaching the physical peak of his career. He's like, what, 27, 28? He's going to be entering the downside of his career. Tyreek Hill's game is built off of speed. As you get older, folks, here's a lesson in life. Here are two things for certain as you get older. You get bigger and you get slower as you get older. That's what happens. You get bigger and you get slower. And Tyreek Hill is a small man based off of speed. That's his game. So he's not always going to be this dynamic guy who has angle beating speed. That's not going to be the case three years from now, right? That's just how the body works. That's just human biology. So I understand why they're trying to, you know, get ahead of that issue because you don't want to pay him a long-term deal, paying him all this money. Old Bill Belichick motto, right? It's not for what you, it's not about what you've done for me in the past. It's about for what you're going to do for me in the future. That's the whole point of the long-term deal. And the Chiefs didn't believe Tyreek Hill would be able to do what he's doing now in the future, which is a pretty reasonable bet, right? The Dolphins, will they get everything they can out of Tyreek Hill for the next five years? Probably not. Mike McDaniels, he's a rookie head coach. He wants to start fast to attack Valoa. He's on his own time and his own reckoning. They want Tua to look good. Uh, so if it makes them look good for this year, Tua picks up some nice stats. Mike McDaniels, he gets looked at more as a quote-unquote QB guru because that's how these guys keep their jobs now as head coaches in the NFL, OCs, and that's how, that, that, that's how it's all made in the NFL, right? If you're People say you're a quarterback whisperer, you're an offensive coordinator, you're going to get a job. Look at freaking uh, Brian Dable. I don't think Brian Dable is the most special offensive mind in the world. Then oh, right, he's with the Giants because he can fix Daniel Jones. That's kind of how it works, and Tyreek Hill helps aid in that capacity. Again, to attack Valoa. Not a great arm, not a great athlete. He can throw a four-yard slant pass, not even a good pass right in stride, and Tyreek Hill can make one guy miss and then run 60 yards for a touchdown. Then Tua's stats look good, and then on Miami Talk Radio the next day, they're all being like, oh my God, Tua's improved so much. That's the type of stuff Tyreek Hill can do for you in year one and year two, probably not year three, four, and five of that deal, uh, but that remains to be seen. Maybe he could be a trendsetter there. I doubt it, though. Chiefs got worse. Dolphins got better. That's the moral of the story. Uh, also, I do want to say this, and what I also think is interesting, like I said about the draft, no receiver is going to be able to replace Tyreek Hill. Who are they going to get to get somewhat of a semblance of what Tyreek can do? Are they going to run the ball more? I'm very interested to see how Kansas City's offense evolves, because it has to evolve. And who's going to step up? That's going to be something I'm very interested to see. Now, Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Jason Gavari on for that NBA history segment me and him did. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a special guest. He hasn't been on a little bit, but he's back. Jason Kavari to do a little NBA history. How you doing, man? Oh, pretty good, my man. Thanks for having me. So, we're going to get into the three-point shot, and you've done a little bit of research just on this topic, so just tell me what you found. Oh, yeah, I thought it would be cool, you know, with everything uh, being in the news recently about staff breaking the record and all. 
for us to just trace back through the history of it, at least as far as it goes into uh, the professional leagues. So where it started as far as professional basketball, got to go back to 1961, um, where it was brought into the American Basketball League, not the association. This is a whole separate thing at that time. And in that league, it was a 25-foot arc with the same 22-foot lines in the corners. Now, this league only lasted a few years, but where this, uh, where this plays in is that that influenced the American Basketball Association to adopt that three-point line when it started in 1967. So this was a marketing tool for them, along with the slam dunk. They used these two things to compete with the NBA, you know, try to draw some audiences away, at least bring some money in for having all these exciting new things that the NBA didn't have. So as we know, they merged in 1976. And then in 1979, the NBA started with their three-point shots. And Chris Ford of the Boston Celtics, he was the first player to hit a three on October 12th, which coincidentally was a... Larry Bird's debut in the NBA. Um, then, you know, it, it sort of it was there all the way through the, uh, the 80s. And there was a decline, actually, in scoring that sort of reached through to the mid-90s. So in 1994, the next big development of the three was when the NBA shortened the line from 23 feet, 9 inches, to 22 feet all the way around. Nothing really happened. The scoring actually declined more through that period. So they ended up kicking it back out to 23 feet, 9 inches again. Then we move into the 2000s, where the shot's gaining more and more importance because the league's moving away from these you know, post-centric offenses. Uh, and then we, we get to the mid-2000s where we're looking at you know, the Phoenix Suns, the Nash, D'Antoni offenses, real explosive, sort of heralding this big jump into three-point-centric offenses, which brings us back to Steph Curry who was the main one in turning it into the center of an offense, whereas before it was just maybe an ornament to them. So let's go with this, and I think this is really interesting. When you look at Steph, and Steph and the Warriors, and really I would put the Houston Rockets in there too because Daryl Morey with the math and the analytics. I think analytics is a big part of this, how they kind of changed the game in terms of uh, to play on the team, the, to be on the court, you have to shoot a three. And if you think about this, right, like everybody in the NBA now, uh, they all shoot threes. And I was looking at this. How many players, Jason, do you think get, let's say, 30 minutes a game that are no threat from three-point line? Man, very little. I mean, we, we got to be talking about probably less than less than 10. Yeah, like, and I was like, Jared Allen, your guy for the Cavs, uh, He's not a threat, and he's like a 12-10 guy, rim protector. The Cavs aren't the best team in the world, but they've been a pretty good team. That's a guy. Uh, ben Simmons isn't playing this year, but he's a guy who will get substantial minutes and isn't a three-point threat. But my point is, there's not a lot of guys. Like, back in the 90s, you could have four guys on a court that weren't a threat from three. Like, there will be no point in the NBA this year where there are four guys on a court that can't shoot a three. It's crazy that that migration out from the center slowly over the past 20, 30 years that's happened. Yeah, so I, I thought that was really interesting as I looked into it because I'm even like, when we even look at these centers, there used to be a time where guys like Shaquille O'Neal, Patrick Ewing, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, uh, they wouldn't think of shooting threes. It's like, get your butt in the post, right? The Bill Russells, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbars, the Will Chamberlains. Now you look at this. Nikola Jokic can shoot a three. Joel Embiid can shoot a three. Jordan Wood can shoot a three. Oh, absolutely. And you got to look for this, I would say. It's a Nowitzki was the main one who kick-started this three-point by a big man kind of thing. Because you got to remember when he came in, everyone was just looking at him like he was kind of crazy for doing that. Like he had other big men that were doing that all along, but I would think he was the first one that made it acceptable and slowly pushed it into like, oh, like this is something that big men could do, could excel at, could feature an offense around your big man doing this. And I was also this to give back to the players who were on the court who couldn't shoot a three. Look at the Bulls. Michael Jordan's a Bulls. Michael Jordan, not a three-point shooter. Scottie Pippen, not a three-point shooter. Dennis Rodman, not a three-point shooter. Uh, Ron Harper, not a three-point shooter. And they would have like Luke Longley in there, not a three-point shooter. The Bulls would try out a starting five with no guy who was a threat from the three-point line. 
Could you imagine in the NBA, in the NBA today, if you trotted out a starting five where no guy was a threat from three-point range? You just get blown off the floor. There's no way you could keep up. Like, you get destroyed. <laughs> Absolutely. No chance. And in a situation with that, a guy like Steve Kerr, who, let's say, goes from being a 20-minute guy on these Bulls teams, like... Steve Kerr's probably getting close to 35 minutes now. Oh, you would have to, just to be able to keep up. I mean, they even have a prayer, you know, of anybody that could actually shoot of those teams. You know, obviously, NJ developed the shot as they went along. But, I mean, realistically, like, who else did you have shooting there? Or now these players, like, I have no doubt if MJ played in the league now, he would be an effective three-point shooter. I, right. I, but I'm just saying, even a guy like MJ, because you even see these players now, like, the high-volume shooters, Harden, Steph, Donovan Mitchell, these guys where we'll see him take 10 threes a game, no problem. Like, And that's affecting the stars. Like, If Michael was in the NBA today, Michael goes from taking like one three a game, like 0.5 threes a game, to like he's having to put up at least seven. Oh, yeah. As a guard, as a high-volume shooting guard at that. Yeah, like you, you just don't have a choice, you know. And it was like the progression through his career, like, you know. If you look where he started in the mid to late 80s, I mean, he wasn't taking any threes to you know, the development of his shot through the 90s to the point where he was at the Wizards. He actually was shooting pretty well there. That is true, he was. And to the volume, too, like, when, when you think about it, it, and it's really crazy, Steph Curry averages 10.4 three-point shots a game. 10 point, no, actually, 13, it's 13.1, excuse me. 13.1, actually. 13 threes a game. <laughs> that is insane, Jason. I mean, just to think, like, you know, where it's come, too. Because, you know, we've been alive through all this. We've been watching basketball since we were kids. I mean, just imagine going back to when we were younger, you know, telling, like, young us, watching, like, you know, Dwayne Wade and all that back then. That, you know, there's going to be a day when people are taking, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 threes a game on the regular. Sometimes even more, you know, that's just an average. Oh, I, yeah, I completely agree. And you even see now guys who aren't particularly great three-point shooters. Like, I don't think Luka's a particularly great three-point shooter, but Luka's going to put him up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because that's just kind of how it is now, the step back. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's like, I think Donovan Mitchell's a very good shooter, but I don't think he's like, Donovan Mitchell averages like nine threes a game. I don't think he's quite that good of a shooter to wear, but like, it's just what they do now. Oh, yeah, to be thrown at them. You're like LeBron, even, or Westbrook. I mean, there's another one who will just take as many shots as he wants. Yeah, well, I think the three-point error, that's been bad for Westbrook. <laughs> let's stay... detriment of his game. <laughs> let's stay in the arc. Let's stay in the arc for us. <laughs> but, but even if you see a guy like... Think about this, Carmelo. Carmelo, in his prime, was one of the best ISO scorers in the NBA. That's fair to say, right? Oh, absolutely. He now is with the Lakers. He's just a spot of three-point shooter guy. Like, you're not going to have Melo isolate on the wing, dribble, post, get to his mid-range, because that's just of no value anymore. And it doesn't space the floor as much. If Melo did right. that, he wouldn't be back out of the league. Oh, absolutely. And this was the thing that he had to do, you know, for what the team needed and really for, for what would keep his career alive. Like, this actually, this year, is the most three-point attempts he's ever averaged in his career. Uh, six of them per game. It has? How much more is it? It is. Uh, well, I mean, we got other seasons. Like, let's look through here at his earliest one. For example, back when he was playing with Denver, we have, like, 2.6, 2.1, 1.9. With the Knicks here, we have like 4.5, 4.3. So it's a few more threes a game he's taking here, man. How has Steph's threes trickled up? Let's check on that here. Man, yeah, from like 4.8 his rookie year in 2009 all the way to 13. I mean, even if we're looking at like, you know, when he actually started playing like big minutes, it's still, you know, in the five, six, sevens. I mean, it doubled in that span that he's been in the league. 
And that's what I'm saying. Steph came into the league in 2010. We're at just a little over at the end of the decade. 12 years, right? 2022. How much the game has changed. And that's kind of 2010. Kobe's still playing, right? You're still having your mid-range. Dwayne Wade, LeBron is attacking the rim. Stuff like that. And then you go now, like, in Steph shooting 13. You go from shooting basically 5 to 13. That's half of Steph. How many shot attempts does Steph Curry have a game this year? How Let's times? check on that here. Probably like 18, 19? I would think so, yeah. Over half of his shots are three-point attempts. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that wild? At, at what time in the NBA? When do you think... Because coaches used to say, like, if you do that, you're getting pulled. When do you think that would become acceptable? Or what year do you think that was becoming a thing where, okay, that's normalized? This was, I would say, probably back in the 90s, you know, because you still had some shooters back then. You're like, obviously, we mentioned Steve Kerr, like Del Curry back then, you know, guys that were specialized in that aspect. So as we're getting later into the 90s or even, like, you know, mid-90s, these guys were pretty important off the bench for, like, you know, quick offense. And then it just sort of evolved from there. But I'm saying, like, Steve Kerr never had the green light to say, hey, go shoot 13 threes a game, guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, to this point, man, you would it really would have been Steph Curry. I cannot think of anybody else that would have had that carte blanche to just take as many shots as they would have wanted like this. And even, too, when you look at it, and Steph Curry, right? He makes five and a half a game, something or somewhere around right. there. And that leads the NBA. In 2001, Ray Allen, he was taking 3.3. He was making 3.3. So we've gone about a little over two and a half three-point attempts from 2001 all the way to now to we're in 2022. How it's kind of trickling up, trickling up. And Rayon led the league and three-pointers made a game. And also, when you look, it's like the style of shooting now. Like, Steve Kerr, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, these are all spot-ups, guys. They're running around. They're going off of picks. This new generation of high-volume ISO three-point shooters, Donovan Mitchell, Luka, Harden, these guys are all shooting in rhythm, step-back. Dribbling, pick and roll three, like stuff like that. Like we're not seeing like roll guys or guys who maybe the second, third option or guys who get it how you would normally think. They they run through picks, motion offense. Clay does it this way as well. Uh, getting to the corner or spot up three. LeBron kicks to a Mike Miller, right? Well, we're talking about like Donovan Mitchell dribbling the ball up the court and just shooting it in rhythm. Oh, yeah, like essentially what used to be your mid-range, you know, it's just expanded to playing outside the arc. You know, Trey Young is another one who's just pop him up from anywhere, you know, just off the dribble. It's nuts, the development of the game, just stretching beyond the arc as far as it has. I guess my one concern, and I want to know when we talk about the history of this and where this is going. My concern about this is, we have guys who aren't, and this goes to the back to the Luka thing, right? We have guys who aren't good shooters taking, like, seven, eight threes a game. I don't think that's the best way to go about it. And I know sometimes it's become more quantity over quality. Because I, as good as Luka is, Luka shouldn't be taking, like, eight threes a game. Oh, absolutely not. Like, Luka's not not a good enough shooter. Even Don, And I love Donovan Mitchell. But Donovan Mitchell, like, Donovan Mitchell's kind of like a Dwayne Wade type. He should be attacking the rim. Oh, yeah, and using the mid-range. He's a great shooter from inside. But all these guys, they think three, 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 three. How do you see the attempts going up in the future? I, You would think there would be a critical mass, you know, at some point where it would just spread out so far and everybody would be taking shots like this at, you know, to the point where it would just become inefficient and kind of ridiculous, you know, to be taking the shots like this because... When you take these shots off the dribble, they're a lot more inefficient. I know, like, generally these threes will be very efficient shots. Obviously, it's a point more than getting your shots from the inside. But that's only when, you know, you have your your pull-ups, you know, that you're passing out to and they're not necessarily as heavily guarded. They're just chucking up shots like this. You know, at some point, 
someone's got to say, all right, we got to you know clean this up. Do you could you see us ever having a four point shot? That I, it would be interesting, and I've heard that's that was kind of in talks. That or pushing the line back a bit. Which one would you rather be in favor of? I would say four point shot. I think that would be pretty interesting. I think it'd be you know, just it would add a whole different thing to the game. But I could also see why pushing the arc back would be another thing too. You know, just make it more difficult to be able to pull that constantly. Yeah, I think that then takes away the spot up role player type guys, right? It makes it more because, or maybe they have to expand the range out. It's and it's also stretch out the defense more if you're going to expand the arc like that. Exactly, but yeah, that does wipe out the role though for those guys that are just barely like you know able to shoot just enough to to give them some value that you can have them on the floor like your PJ Tuckers you know that aren't pulling up from the key you know they're having to take their shots from the corner I mean what do you do when the line expands you know where if the line became a four if there became a four point line where do you think it would be. I would think that would probably be a couple feet back. I don't know, like, where specifically they were thinking of of placing it, but I would think probably 26, 27 feet, huh? All the way around. That's fair. I, I think that's pretty... I think that's pretty reasonable. Right? Like, that's, that's, that's pretty reasonable. Oh, yeah, like, given, like, you got to think, like, who could even make those shots on a consistent basis? Like, we're looking, like, what, Lillard, maybe Thompson, uh, Curry, maybe Young. I mean, you only have a few guys in the league that you know, could probably reliably hit those shots in, you know, actual game pressure situations. But it'd just be an interesting additional wrinkle, I think, to add in. Oh, I completely agree. And when you think about this, when you said the first three point pointer was made in the 80s yep that was uh the first one 79 when the nba adopted it so if you're thinking right in the 80s if they saw how the game was today what do you think they would think like what the hell is going on like I mean, they almost wouldn't recognize it you'd think you know like from a game that, w- that was so predicated on post offense and just passing around and it wasn't so much of a uh you know, put the ball on the floor, triple around, just like jack up a shot from like, you know, 26, 27 feet, something. I mean, it's a whole different game now. I imagine, because I don't know if you heard about this, Steph Curry was talking about if uh, the 2017 Warriors played the 96 Chicago Bulls, and you imagine they're playing in a series, right, in this hypothetical, and they're uh, warming up. And then Michael Jordan's looking at Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and all these guys doing these crazy three-point shots, and they're like, Huh? Basketball. They're they're looking at them warming up, and this guy's like, "Huh? I've never seen that before." And that's just when you talk, and that's from '96 to like 2017. It's like 20 plus years. How and like right? And you don't think 20 plus years is going to show that much of a difference? But it really is. Like, if, if you were to look at it, and they were to look at how they warm up, they would be like, "The Last Dance Bulls would be like, huh? Just in shock. You guys do that." You guys do that? <laughs> really? Really? You dribble up the court and have court and you shoot threes? Just pull that, up for, you got to think what the coaches would think back then too watching that, you know? I mean, you only you only saw players do that if it's like end of shot clock end of shot clock end of uh, time at the half and you're just throwing something up. Right, and to think that that's almost become, like, we're, we're getting to the point where that's almost become normalized to take shots of that length for some guys, you know. You almost don't bat an eye when you see him do that. No, no, you don't. And then Steph, and you're right, Steph has been the king to normalize it. And it also makes you wonder, too, how much, like Michael Jordan, right, one of the greatest scorers ever, if Michael was going to shoot more threes, how much better would Michael have been? I honestly think him. I, we could even see with the progression that he made, you know, in shooting more, becoming better. I think he would have been elite. Because even if, let's put Harden, for example, 
Harden's what? You'd say Harden's an above-average shooter for his volume, right? I would still say so, yeah. Let, let's say even Michael wasn't, I mean, nobody's Steph Curry, but let's say Michael was average to above-average. Mm. Even if he's average, like, how many much more points is that a game? Oh, he's, uh, man, I mean, based on those averages, he's at least in, you know, almost touching 40. Yeah, in one year, I believe he averaged 37 a game. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking Not about easily eclipsing 40. Man. At that point, you're talking about easily eclipsing 40. Oh, yeah, and, and you got to think, too, this was uh, at least, like, pre this year, back when everything was so disposed towards offensive success and, you know, sort of penalizing defensive players for everything, man, you would have gotten nuts. Or even Kobe. Kobe was an high-volume three-point shooter, and Kobe shot more than anybody. <laughs> you, you, you just, I, I just wonder how these guys would have done. Even Melo, if you think about it, if Melo had incorporated the three to his game. Oh, yeah. I mean, all these guys, you know, Dwayne Wade had been shooting earlier. Uh, Iverson, he made the three like a bigger part of his game than it was. I mean, you, you got to just wonder some of these guys, like what it would have looked like or how good they would have been. Or, or try this experiment. Larry Bird in the NBA now. Mm. Well, he always had a great shot, too, especially watching those games. Like, he had the form, and there were times, I mean, he was a good three-point shooter. It just wasn't, you know, the thing to do back then. But how many three, take the shots. How many three-point shots was Larry Bird taking a game? Probably, like, three? It, it wasn't a lot, and he was a fantastic shooter. Oh, if even that. I, I, I don't know if they would have let him take more than that or what it would have been. But, but, but now, I mean... Wonder. He's taking at least seven to eight. Oh, absolutely. Just yeah. to keep up and, you know, having that shot, why wouldn't you? Or, or think of somebody like Kevin Durant, right? And we know Kevin Durant's a great three-point shooter, what he can do. If Kevin Durant played in the NBA in, like, the 80s, we would never know the full capability of what Kevin Durant could be. Because even though Kevin Durant can shoot it from three, they would be like, okay. I mean, also, he's seven foot one, so they'd be like, stay in the post, right? But, like... It'd be like mid-range. Like, his game would be completely different. He wouldn't be allowed to show everything he can do. Oh, absolutely. This would have been like sort of an inside score kind of presence. Almost like a like a game, like kind of a Wilkins type thing, you know? They just wouldn't have let him take as many threes. It just wasn't the thing to do. And I've noticed this. The three has been the great equalizer. It's been the cheat code in the video game. It's allowed somebody like Steph Curry, who, for people to say, remember the argument in 2016, is Steph Curry better than LeBron? Now, obviously, what the Cavs did, they came back 3-1 down. I think everybody thinks LeBron was better. But the reason, the whole reason that argument was able to take place is because the impact of the three-point shot. How much pressure he put on you with the three-point shot. That's why that argument was able to take place. Like, for example, let's say three-point shots automatically became worth six points. Steph Curry would be the greatest player ever, right? Well, by far. No, like, no question. So so I'm just saying, like, that's how much, like, a simple rule change in the three-point shot, that's how much of a difference it can make. And Steph Curry mastering it, mastering that ability to get an extra point, that made it, that put him in a conversation where people are saying, is he better than LeBron James? Is he better than Kevin Durant? Well, he secures his place with that, you know? It's these guys that just revolutionize the game. Um, in, in ways that just you know, hadn't been seen before, because who else would have done it, you know, to this degree, um, to have, to have changed the game, but not only to influence the next generation coming up. If you look at all these kids taking the shots like they are, even guys that came into the league recently, Trey Young being probably the best example. They grew up watching Curry. This is what they're doing now. And Trey Young's a perfect example of that. Hmm. And again, too, I do want to stress this before we go to a break. I do want to stress this. P.J. Tucker, think of P.J. Tucker. Gritty, tough defender. If P.J. Tucker can't shoot, or let's say P.J. Tucker has the Ben Simmons yips, he doesn't shoot. P.J. Tucker is out of the league. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's just no way you could keep him on a court offensively, you know? Danny Green, great perimeter defender, everything. Glue guy. Can't shoot, out of the league. And he was out of the league, actually. Danny Green was out of the league. He was <laughs> oh, with the Cavs. He he, 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 then he got a shot. Then he got back in the league. It, it, it's funny how once he got a shot. Think of Duncan Robinson. The only, And I love Duncan Robinson. 
Great story. Was at a D3 school. Worked his way. Walked on at Michigan. Whole nine yards, right? Special. If Duncan Robinson can't shoot, he is out the league. Absolutely. No question. Never even would have made it. Out the league. Like, shooting is putting people specifically in. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to be strong. You can have deficiencies in other parts of your game. But if you can shoot and you can spread the court, you can find 10 to 15 minutes in this league. Because shooting is such a premium. That and contracts, even. You know, that's how these guys are getting paid. Just off the strength of doing that, you got to look at, you know, like your specialized guys in the 90s, you know, Del Curry or Steve Kerr, Alex Cum, you know, Kyle Korver, JJ Reddick through the uh, 2000s. They're big. The big shtick was, you know, shooting threes. Um, and obviously, Robinson now that that's uh, worked for him or Joe Harris with the Nets. Like, now, just imagine. If a player has a wide open corner three, they pump fake it, they dribble inside the arc and shoot a mid-range jumper. That player, unless their name is like Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, or or one of the names that, you know, are obvious, their that guy is getting pulled. Like like think about that. If a role player has a wide open three pointer at the arc, uh, corner, pump fakes it, goes in the line for a mid-range, and clanks it, even if he makes it. That coach is pissed. That GM is pissed. Right? Like they're like, well, what are you doing? That, man. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? If you pump fake it and go in, you better take it to the rim. Oh, yeah. If you don't and you settle for a mid-range, you know, you're, you're going to be out the game. But I, I do think this is about the mid-range shots. I do want to know quickly, how do you feel about the mid-range shot? I think there's still a place for it, you know. I, I there's you should still see players that I wouldn't say make their living out of that area, but you know it, it's a dying art. But I enjoy watching guys play out of there, like DeRozan being the biggest example. Man, it's just like a back to basics kind of thing. Reminds me of growing up. So I, I don't want to see it die. I wouldn't say I, I still do enjoy it. Yeah, I just think it's become going to become more and more specialized because. Obviously, if you're trying to work on getting the NBA, the best way, we just highlighted this, like Duncan Robinson, shoot. Shoot threes. So, there's not really time for kids as they're growing up to learn the mid-range game. Like, it's not a value. Unless, let's say, you're somebody like Kevin Durant who can just do everything. And it's like, yeah, I can just shoot anywhere. Or, you know, Kawhi Leonard's worked, DeMar DeRozan. But unless you're kind of one of those guys, you kind of become a star and that's how you kind of work. If you're playing on being a role player and you're like, I'm going to play a certain way, I'm going to play in a system, there is no value in you ever taking a mid-range shot. From when you finally, when your dad takes you out to the parks to play basketball, three, 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 three. It's no benefit for to have your kid out there and shoot mid-range, mid-range, mid-range. Absolutely. I mean, it is like, you know, for your general player, it is the most inefficient shot that you could take anywhere mid-range. I mean, either you're taking a shot within three feet to lay up a dunk or taking a three. And it is a shame, you know, because growing up, I really did enjoy watching all these guys play ISO mid-range. So I don't want to see it die, but I understand why it is on the way out. So what I want to do is this. I want to take a quick break. And kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we can talk about some of the best three-point shooters ever. Kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, we still have Jason Cavari with us. So, Jason, give me some of your top three-point shooters ever. So, just uh, obviously, I wouldn't say in any order right now, which we're, we're going to go into some sort of order later with this list I got here, but we got guys like Steph Curry, you know, Clay Thompson, Reggie Miller, Ray Allen. I mean, God, there's so many of them, man. It's just tough to pull them all off the top of your head or rank them in any way. 
So they have the Clays, the Reggies, Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick. The Nowitzkis, you know, for the big guys, got to have them represented. Bird. Bird would be in there. Just so many over the course of all this time, which sort of makes you wonder, how do we go about ranking them, you know? Or is there any way that we could bring all these stats together and their impact to put together some sort of a comprehensive list? Well, I think Steph, I think it has to start with Steph at one because he can do anything that any spot-up guy, like we said, can come off off of picks, you know, catch and shoot, corner three, top of the key, all that. But his ability to get his three-point shot off the dribble and to be able to pull up from literally half court, I think, makes him the greatest shooter ever by a pretty clear and solid margin. Without a doubt. I mean, you obviously agree with all your points there. Just the fact that he revolutionized the game completely, you know, did stuff that nobody ever did, at least regularly, and then turned it into something that people would do. I mean, who else would do that? you got to give him the number one spot by far there. Because who's the next guy who even is close to replicating what Steph does in terms of off the dribble? I mean, God, like off the dribble, that... I mean, it's hard to say, maybe like Steve Nash doing stuff like that. Steve Nash is a good one, but Steve wasn't as aggressive. But Steve wasn't doing it from half court either. Like right. Steve, Steve, that's a good one. But Steve wasn't doing it quite like how like Steph is like Steve just times a thousand. I, I'm thinking of somebody like Dame kind of replicates it the way Dame shoots. These guys that's Nash. That's a good point. In that same sort of game style, just like a Curry White sort of thing. But Dame's nowhere near the shooter that Steve Nash was or Steph Curry. No, also like a far far less efficient version, I would think. Yeah, these guys who will just, yeah, you know, dribble it up and you're you're liable, they're liable to shoot it. I mean, Trey's kind of like that. He's liable to shoot it anyway, anywhere. Right. But Steve's interesting. It would be Steve's another one. It'd be very interesting to see how Steve Nash would have been in a modern NBA. I mean, well, it was modern when he was playing, but uh, the three-point era with the two late 2010s, uh, 2018 to let's say now 2022. How many three-point shots would Steve be getting? Because Steve was always a really unselfish player, and I don't think shooting and getting a lot of shots up was ever really his thing. But it would be interesting to see how he would look. Facilitating for that offense, you know, everyone else being able to get their shots. Whether that was with, uh, you know, Dallas or Phoenix, really. But, you know, these days, man, with everyone having the green light, especially being a superstar like that, like, you got to think you'd be pulling with the best of them, you know? So, who would you say is a clear number two? As a number two, that's where it starts to get kind of tough because you get into all these other guys, you know, and all these other reasons that you could put them up there. I mean, there's uh, arguments to be made for Ray Allen. You know, Clay Thompson is another one that we could put there. Number two, it it really is tough. If you had to pick between Clay, Reggie, and Ray, who would it be? Man, I really would say, I honestly, so I I would say the first one out of those three, I would take Reggie out, um, bump him down just below Clay. And um and Ray Allen here, and I gotta say, right now I would take Ray Allen just for the longevity and being great for that long. But Clay's still playing; he just came back. You never know; that can change. Now that's true. So then, after Ray, would you go Clay? I would go Clay after Ray Allen. Yeah. And then you'd go Reggie. I would say yeah, probably Reggie Miller after that. So why Reggie? Lower than both Clay and, and Ray. Well, he hadn't done. I mean, even though he did hold the record for quite some time, you know, he was the one who actually got passed by Ray Allen initially. He wasn't as good of a shooter as those two. Um, his efficiency is just a little bit lower than the two of them. And that would really be my main argument, I would say. So then, after though, those are kind of like the four synonymous names. Then after that, I think you could make arguments for guys like 
you could say Larry Bird. I think at this point, Steve Kerr, the role players, Kyle Korver, J.J. Redick, maybe a Tim Legler. Who would be your fifth guy? I mean, this is where we're getting into, like, you know, the, obviously the longevity and these, these guys are more like specialized shooters. I would think, you know, probably put Kyle Korver up there, huh? Like, number five, I would say. Kyle Korver is... See, that's tough. I, I think Kyle Korver might be a better pure shooter than Clay, though. Just on, on pure efficiency, would you say? Or... I think if you have both of them take open three-point shots, Kyle Korver would be Clay. Just in a gem. But then you got the other element too, with the contested threes or taking threes off the dribble. That, that's know? true. That's true. No, that's true. I just said just a pure shooter aspect. Like I think if you were to have them in the gym, I think Clay, I think Kyle would knock down more shots than Clay. I would agree. I, I think just as like a pure shot, that you know, Corver would just have a little bit of an edge. And there. you remember the thing got... when Kyle played for the the cat? Like Kyle was knocked. Kyle was automatic. It was a knockdown shooter, man. Like knockdown shooter, I mean, super special there. And I think also thing with Clay too. We also remember with Clay. Also thing I put Clay in, in my top three is when he gets hot and he gets in his zone, he can just go. And Clay does it too. Clay Clay will shoot these coming off a pick, contested right in your face, just bang it down. Won't be bothered at all. Like remember uh, game six at OKC. 2016 Western Conference Finals, the Warriors are down 3-2, and he has that miraculous 37-point game at Oklahoma City. Right? Oh, yeah. He just could not miss. Could not miss at all. So when you look at the bottom half of uh, the top 10, so who are then some guys you're thinking of there? So we still got to, we, we haven't exactly placed Nash anywhere here, which, you know, again, with the efficiency and, and him being really the first one in that mid-2000s to push for that, I, I think he does deserve a place in this top 10. J.J. Uh, Redick would be another one who shot very efficiently. Uh, you know, Mike Miller, we even mentioned earlier, would be another guy that uh, it's possible we could put up here. Yeah, those are all good ones. Those are all very good ones, and... Redick. JJ's one of the more JJ's kind of like a Kyle Corver, like a baby Kyle Corver. Oh yeah, and and you know recently having uh, retired here, that that's an end to a great career. It is again, I, I think like it maybe not recognized entirely now, but you know, I'd say probably a few years from now it'll sort of sink in more. Like dude, he really was at that level, you know. So what about a guy like Larry Bird or Kevin Durant or Dirk Nowitzki? Uh, Dirk, I would say, definitely. Maybe around the bottom of that list. And more so, I would give him a place not not only for being a great shooter, but for the impact he had on big man shooting. You know, for the, the change of the game that resulted because he started taking those shots. Like, who's to say that these big men today feel as comfortable taking these shots if it wasn't Nowitzki that you know, cleared the way for them to be able to do it, you know? No, that's completely true. So you wouldn't have Larry Bird or Kevin Durant in your top ten? Bird, probably not. And Durant, I don't know. That, that That's getting kind of tough. Durant, possibly. Possibly. But then we got to see if we're taking out one of these role players that were just, you know, so great at threes. That that's all they did, but they were just so good at it, you know? But I think you'll start thinking, right... When Kevin Durant shoots a three, it's contested. Because Kevin oh, yeah. Durant's drawing a lot more attention. So his three-point shots are going to be a higher degree of difficulty than, let's say, a Mike Miller, LeBron James, collapses the defense, passes a wide-open shot. It's a lot different if you're taking threes as a role player. You have a couple, two to three, five shots a game, and they're open, and you're expected just to make open shots, play your role, as opposed to all the pressures on me tonight. I'm going to get a five threes, and there's going to be double teams. People are going to be throwing different looks at me. They're going to show. They're not going to show. All that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, hey, when you put it that way, dude, like there's almost no way to leave them off, you know? And then I'm also thinking, you know, guys that are in the conversation, at least, uh, and as his name is coming to mind, uh, James Jones. 
There's another great role player, yeah, who was real great at threes. And, you know, Steve Kerr, like we were talking about earlier, it's tough to leave him off the list with everything he did in the 90s. John Paxton. Absolutely. Mark yeah. Price, another one in the 90s. That, you know, going back watching those old Cavs games, just a little tidbit there, he actually has uh, one of the best free throw percentages in NBA history, 90.4%. Even Seth Curry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even Del Curry, too, I mean, for that matter. For having, yeah, brought it into importance for them. I mean, there's all these guys that it just gets kind of dicey towards the bottom of that list. Like, what do we what do we value is more important? Do we just take the pure shot, the ability to just, like, you know, have it be passed out, and, you know, you just be standing there and take the pull-up shot, or do we do we look at it as more important to be able to hit the shot, falling sideways, falling back, you know, two guys in your face, hand right there, you know, just somehow pull it off that way. And I think that's what makes Steph, again, number one, because he can do all of it. Everything, everything, and better than anybody else ever had. I mean, really, you know, <laughs> making this a novel thing, you know, and, and, who, who did this before him? And what does Steph shoot from the field this year? Was that Seth or Steph? Steph. Let's check in here. He's he's well Steph. over forty percent, right? Well over. I would think, even with this um this this late slump here, which has been a, I mean, this could be a whole episode in and of itself, like these past few games where it seems like the shots been kind of weird. Actually, this year it's been thirty eight percent. So thirty eight percent. Thirty eight percent though. He's taking thirteen threes a game though. Yeah. With attracting all that attention, how many more percentage points is it worth? Is worth it if teams aren't picking him up at half court? They're not consistently worried. So it's like his thirty-eight percent isn't the same as like if uh, Malik Monk is shooting thirty-eight percent. Those are two different thirty-eight <laughs> percents. All right, man, because the uh, the quality of shot that they're getting, you know. Versus, you know, did like Monk's wide open look from LeBron's excellent pass to, you know, Curry having to do it with, you know, a few inches of space, if that. So I think we kind of figured out our little top ten here. I would say so. I think we, you know, cobbled together a pretty good one, all things considered. So, Jason, I want to thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. And once again, I want to thank Jason Gavari for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 409th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.